This is episode 381 of the AWS podcast, released on July 26, 2020. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Simon Lisha here with you. Great to have you back. I'm joined by a very special guest all the way from Milan, Italy. What a beautiful location. Alex Salboni, who is a senior developer advocate here at AWS. Welcome to the podcast, Alex. Thank you, Simon. Thank you for having me. Good to, uh, good to have you on, and always good to have an Italian on the show. It, uh, it harkens back to the uh, Simone Brunazzi days. So uh, for long-time listeners, you'll, you'll get that <laughs> yeah, reference. Too bad. I, I can show you my hands. Yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> now, you are here to talk to us about a really interesting open-source tool, and uh, I'm only going to use this vocalization once, but it's called AWS Lambda Power Tuning. Um, so I'll stop... Uh, y- y- filtering my my inner power obsession. Um, It's a great name for a tool, Alex, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, AWS Lambda Power Tuning, it sounds intriguing. What are you trying to solve with that besides wanting to come up with a really cool name? Yeah, good question. Uh, First of all, I really like the name. I cannot remember how I came up with the name, but that was the first first pick. Um, So the problem or the challenge uh, it's trying to solve is to help customers optimize their Lambda functions. So when you build a serverless application and you often want to optimize it either for cost or for speed, so for performance, or sometimes for both. So that's why the the, the tool exists in the, for, in the first place. And so one of the, the great things about projects like this is they, they often come along because you want to kind of scratch your own itch. Um, so how did you start working on this project and why did you spend that time? Uh, that's actually a funny story because um, it was back in 2017 and I was still an AWS customer. I was working in a startup and we were just starting using AWS Lambda for some uh, workloads in the, in the machine learning uh, field. We, we even wrote a, a blog post with Jeff Barr back then. By the way, uh, I had just spent the whole day uh, basically tuning my Lambda functions to, you know, trying to optimize the performance. Uh, Sometimes you have what we call a cold start. uh, And I was using pretty heavy Python libraries. So my cold start was in the uh, in the range of two, two and a half seconds. So I didn't like that for the user experience. So basically I had spent the whole day tuning my functions, trying to find the perfect balance. Do you know how many different memory configurations you can uh, choose for your Lambda functions. <laughs> How many? Simon? What's there the There are 46. <laughs> there are four. It's a Precisely 46. It's, <laughs> it's 46. So if you want to try them all, you know, manually, it would take a while. So what I thought, I was on a train, I was coming back home after work, and I started coding. I wanted to automate this. And so I thought, um, I can use uh, uh, some orchestration tool like AWS Step Functions. Uh, it was pretty new service announced a few months earlier, so I really wanted to to play with it. Uh, so I, I just used it as an excuse to play with a new tool, uh, build some automation for something I spent the whole day <laughs> doing manually, and uh, I thought it would just be one of those projects you build over a weekend and then you forget about it. And then I ended up working on it for the next three years. So that's, that's more or less the story. It became a, a labor of love. So, so, so how does it work? Like <laughs> you mentioned step functions. What's it, what's it doing behind the scenes? 
Yeah, so the, the idea was that I could build a state machine, so some orchestration state machine that would take any lambda function in input. So basically your lambda function, whatever lambda function in any programming language in any AWS region. And I would be able to run it using different memory or power configurations and then I would extract the logs and look you know crunch some numbers and I would be able to tell you at the end of the execution what is the optimal uh, memory configuration. Uh, I called it power and this is a bit counterintuitive for many developers because in Lambda uh, the only way to tune the resource allocations of your functions is through memory. Uh, but it's a bit counterintuitive because memory also means uh, more CPU and more networking throughput and more everything, right? So I thought, let's just call it power. So since then, I just call it power. And so what this is doing is basically gathering data at scale for your Lambda function and giving you a precise decision point about what you should be, what your optimal settings are based upon some criteria. Exactly, it's it's data driven. So that's why I, I call it a data driven optimization process. And as an engineer, as a developer, that that's the best decision process you can have because it's not subjective. It's automatable. It runs in just a, a few seconds, depending mm -hmm. on how you 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 set it up. Uh, so there are even customers that are integrating it in their CI/CD pipelines, so that. Every time you deploy a new Lambda function or a new version of that Lambda function, you can optimize it before it actually goes to production. That's for nice. So, so you can build it into that, that pipeline. So is it just for cloud formation or, or can you integrate it with other sort of uh, infrastructure as code type approaches? So good question. Um, so the tool itself is based on AWS SAM. Uh, which is a special flavor of CloudFormation, if you if you allow me that. But I've also published the application in the serverless application repo. That's another service where everybody can publish applications and make them available publicly. So because of that, you can actually integrate this uh, SAR application in your CloudFormation templates, in your serverless framework projects, in your AWS CDK projects, or um, I, I, I've heard that even Terraform support uh, is being worked on. So I think, yeah, it, it should be pretty easy to integrate with any infrastru infrastructureized code um, and, template or technology. And so one of the, I think, exciting but scary things when you open source a piece of software is to see who uses it, if anyone, and for what. Uh, how are you finding customers using this tooling? Actually, uh, it, it's been about three years and Almost every month, a new use case come up. Like uh, I've heard people have been trying to use it for um, uh, stress testing or um, they've been using it to optimize for cost, but then realizing that they could also optimize it for performance. One, one thing that I've learned specifically is that with Lambda, and, and this is different with respect to almost every other computing platform is that and that's why I love it, is because when you start optimizing for cost, uh, there is a chance you are also at the same time with the same tool in the same direction, uh, optimized for performance and, and vice versa. So usually, you know, if you want something to go faster, you have to pay more. There are, you know, these two dimensions are not well aligned. You have to choose one. 
Uh, with Lambda, it's not like that because uh, if you can make the same function run 10 times faster with 10 times more memory, you know, the cost would be basically the same. Sometimes even cheaper, especially if it's a CPU bound uh, kind of workload. So I think that's a realization that many developers and, and architects don't always have when they start working with Lambda and using the tool gives you a nice also visual and data driven way to find it out. And and you mentioned it it is a, an open source project. So you know people can can submit feature requests etc. How how's that working out? Is it is it actively being developed and and what sort of uh, things have maybe popped out from that process? Absolutely, yes. It is open source. That that it's always been uh, since 2017, and it's everything is on GitHub. Maybe we can share a link later somewhere, Absolutely. and everybody can go and check out the code, see how it's built, uh, potentially improve it. If you want to help me, please go ahead. It's all built in uh, in in JavaScript. So I'm also a Python guy, so it was a tough decision. Um, <laughs> yeah, every, everybody. You're not can over it yet, are contribute. you? I can tell you're not over it. <laughs> <laughs> so you, everybody can go and contribute open feature requests. That's actually happening and happening a lot more in the last six to nine months because the the tool got some uh, some attention, some traction. I even spoke about it at AWS reInvent last year. So yes, new feature requests, new ideas, uh, even even improvements about the tool itself are coming on uh, GitHub through the issues mechanism. And uh, I'm actually about to merge a couple of pull requests right now, like today, this afternoon. So uh, I'm pretty happy of how the open source community is responding there. It's, it's going to get better. Now, there were a couple of things that the community have really helped build, which are around sort of the different optimization strategies and also some visualizations. So maybe talk us through that to help us understand why the community built these and what they do. Sure. That's, I believe, one of the best feature of the tool, and I haven't mentioned it yet. Um, let me mention two, actually. And these two features were built from the community. Uh, some were friends or ex-colleagues or, or people that I know directly, but others were not. So the first feature is... Uh, what I call the balanced optimization strategy, because initially the tool was designed to only help you optimize for cost. Uh, you know, I wanted the cheapest uh, power configuration for my for my function, but then somebody else came up and said, "Yes, I don't care about the cost. I just want it to be fast. Just help me find the fastest configuration." But then when I started looking at the numbers, I realized that in many cases, what you actually want is a balance, is a trade-off between these two. You don't want the fastest or the cheapest, you want the optimal, you know, the, the, the optimal trade-off there. So what was built in the open source was um, an, a third type of optimization strategy that we called uh, balanced. So you just give the tool a weight uh, from zero to one. And, you know, if you say zero, it will be speed. If you say one, it will be cost. And if you say something in between, you know, you choose what's more important to you. If you say 0 0.5, it will be somewhere right in, in between. So that was a pretty cool feature, actually developed by uh, a person I know directly, um, a mathematician from Italy as well. Wow. So pretty happy to, <laughs> to have some uh, real math. Yeah. <laughs> Not developer yeah, math. So he, built, he just told me, yeah, I, not developer math, real math, and he just gave me a formula in like 
couple of hours. Yeah, I built this formula for your tool. Cool. Um, and then a second feature that was developed in the open is the uh, visualization of all these numbers. Because you know what happens is that you might have your function executed maybe a hundred times in you know five or ten power configurations, right? This is a lot of numbers to reason about. If even if I show you the numbers in a table, it's not that easy to find the optimal trade-off. So what we what uh, what we thought is, can we build a visualization of this? So uh, this is now part of the tool, and I personally believe it's the best part uh, of the tool. So in the output of the state machine, you will find a URL. And uh, if you visit the URL, you will have a, a practical and interactive visualization of the cost and performance pattern. So you can you know, have a look at it yourself with your very powerful human brain, and very quickly you'll be able to identify the op op optimal trade-off. Uh, this was built in the open, and I want to clarify that Everything happens on the client side. So uh, I've, I've had a few developers and you know security enthusiasts uh, ask me like, uh, is the tool sharing my data? Is it collecting statistics about my functions? So the answer is no, <laughs> don't worry. First of all, the tool runs in your AWS account. Uh, it, it's not a centralized SaaS. Uh, offering. It, it's something you deploy to your AWS account. And second, you know, this visualization is 100% client-side based. It's hosted on AWS Amplify console, and I'm personally hosting it in my personal AWS account. It's pretty cheap, uh, so don't, don't hammer it down, please. Uh, but there is no data sharing, there is no database, and also the data that is used for the visualization uh, is not is never sent to the server because it's part of the uh, hash segment of the URL. So that, that's never sent to any server, it's only client-side accessible. So yeah, there shouldn't be any issues or, or data privacy concerns there. Yeah, I think secu security is a key thing and the ability to deploy your own instance in your own account um, gives you the control you need, plus the fact that it is open source software so you know how it's built. And also the IAM permissions are least privilege and you can also customize them as well, can't you? Yes, that, that's correct. So uh, I am. I have to admit it, it wasn't the first feature I, I, I built into it in <laughs> 2017, uh, but I quickly realized, hey, if I want people to trust the tool and if I want developers to adopt it and use it, you know, that's the best practice uh, I should have worked on uh, early on. So if you want a suggestion, that's the first thing you should do. So I immediately built IM list privilege permissions for each Lambda function of this state machine. There are uh, four or five functions. Uh, but also I realized that in some other use cases or for some specific companies or teams, they may want to have an even stricter uh, policy. So by default, for example, the state machine can work on any Lambda function in your account, right? That, that's pretty flexible and nice if you want to use the tool with multiple functions. Um, but maybe you want to automate the whole thing and deploy one stack per function. So every stack is only able to invoke and optimize one specific function. So you can also do that uh, by kind of constraining down the IAM permission uh, at deploy time. 
And what about cost? How much does it cost every time you're running one of these sort of assessments on, on your Lambda function? So how much are you ready to pay, Simon? No, I'm kidding. Um, are, we, are we playing so, let's make a deal? Uh, to be honest, <laughs> yeah, no. So to me, uh, this could actually be an expensive product, but I wanted to build it in the open so that everybody can use it almost for free, actually. So uh, because it's also serverless, you know, it's not running on a 24-7 server. It's 100% serverless, you know, using Lambda and step functions and, you know, the whole serverless platform, uh, it is pretty cheap as well. So every time you run it, you probably spend less than one cent of a dollar if you have a pretty high number of executions because you, you can choose how many times your function is going to be executed as part of the optimization process. So if you choose a number between 100 and 1,000, so first of all, be careful with the account limit because you, you might have uh, maybe 1,000 or 3,000 or 10,000 concurrent execution limits. So be mindful of that. But, you know, you, even if you go that way with pretty high numbers, uh, you know, you are still in the order of cents of a dollar. So if you run it, uh, in, I don't know, once a week, you will still spend uh, less than 50 cents a year. And for the potential gains that you get in terms of performance and cost, I think this is more than affordable. What oh, do you think? for sure. I think I think uh, I think the return on investment would be off the chart. So uh, definitely not prohibitive from the the cost perspective. Now, you know, this has been an interesting journey for you about uh, you know, three plus years of of this tool existing. What did you learn from from the experience of building a tool like this? I think it was a pretty uh, educational experience uh, for me personally. First of all, because I learned how to build an actual project in the open source that people want to use and that people have ideas and, and feelings and concerns about. So, you know, you have to learn how to collaborate with other developers that maybe work in other organizations that have different priorities or different ways of thinking and, and so on. Uh, you have to learn how to uh, delegate certain tasks and automate as well certain tasks so that you can be free to do the you know uh, management part. So I, I'm a pretty operational, you know, hands hands-on coding person. So for me, sometimes it's hard to just say, yes, I'll open an issue and leave it there open for a few weeks, just waiting for feedback. You know, I would just go down and and uh, and, and develop it and implement everything myself. But, you know, I, I, I had to learn that. And uh, more often than not, you will get a lot of great ideas from uh, people that use your, your, your open source project. So definitely recommend that. Um, and I also learned something new about, you know, transparency and how do you share things in the open instead of, you know, developing on your own for weeks or months and then releasing something out of the blue. Uh, you know, having a clear roadmap, having a clear idea of what's uh, the priority and what are the, the next features you want to implement. I think that's very important too if you're building something in the open. And, you know, until you actually do it, these are things that uh, might be hard to imagine uh, as a developer. They're definitely great lessons learned. So the AWS Lambda Power Tuning Tool is available on GitHub. We'll put links in the show notes. But Alex, you also are a podcaster as well. Do you want to uh, spruik the old podcast while you're here? Oh, you, you mean the Italian podcast? Absolutely. 
Yes, uh, I, I, you know, if you happen to speak Italian and be listening to this podcast, I've just launched uh, a new AWS podcast in Italian. So feel free to uh, to reach out to me on social media, or uh, you, you, you'll you'll find it if you if you if you uh, find me on Twitter, for example. Fantastic, Alex. Thanks so much for joining us on the on the English version podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Simon. It was a pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS podcast at amazon.com is the place to do that. And until next time, keep on building.